0: But that was my first initiation into the real estate game. Um, And and it was a good one because it really taught me straight up that being honest um, and forging a relationship with the people, actually having a a conversation with them. And even, you know, if I did something right on that day, it was all about the relationship. It was my willingness to um, have a chat with a person, no matter who they are.
1: you're listening to The Real Estate Sessions. I'm your host, Bill Risser. Listen in as I interview leaders in our industry, getting their stories and their journeys to the world of real estate. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 243 of The Real Estate Sessions podcast. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for telling a friend. I really can't thank you enough. It's just been a blast producing this podcast and talking to all these interesting people from around the world. And today... I get to go around the world. I'll actually be visiting Down Under. We'll be in Queensland, Australia. I'll be talking to Peter Shrava-Maid, is the strategic relationship manager with Box Brownie. So join me as I chat with Peter about Australian sports, Australian animals that can kill you, and of course, real estate. Peter,
0: welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Bill. Great to be here with you this morning, this afternoon, your time. But yes, um, thanks for having me on.
1: I've, uh, I've had a chance with you over the last... Um month or so, you've been very kind, and you've helped out uh, Fidelity National Title with uh, with a webinar, and then you've done some other things around Connect as well. And it's just really this time difference. I guess we just think it's a big deal to be East Coast West Coast here, but it's five <laughs> o'clock in the afternoon when we're recording this. And what time is it for you on Friday morning?
0: Yeah, it's it's, it's just ten past seven a.m. Friday morning. So yeah, I mean, sure. such is the such is the time time zone difference. This- um, yeah, that's what you That's what you do. You were up at what time this morning, taking care of business in the States? Yeah, well, I get up. I service the nights, and that's not a funny way of saying I have an illegitimate <laughs> career that's less than reputable. Um, <laughs> that, that, that means that I get up early. So, um, it will start anywhere between midnight and 2. This morning, it was 2 a.m. I started at 2 a.m., and I kind of worked through there. Um, but, I mean, I, I'm not complaining about that. A Fidelity National, I, I think you have been – um, the one to thank, as far as that's concerned, because we're we're always happy to bring a message, whatever that may be, to the to the US. So, um, I, I'm not yeah. complaining about the time zones. I'm not complaining about getting up early. I actually prefer it, to be honest. Cool, I mm. like it.
1: Now, I want to talk a little bit about where you live, because it's obviously <laughs> going to be a different for most of us. But you live in Queensland, Australia, which is like a one of the most northern states, the n- northeastern portion of the uh, country. Yep, that's correct. And I, I gotta be honest, I. Don't know Australia that well. Mm -hmm. I know the east coast is more populated than the west coast, and I looked. I looked at a map, and I looked at a Google Earth map of Queensland, and it looks like a big giant desert. (laughs) But people live on the coast.
0: (laughs) Am I close? Yeah, yeah, Uh, yeah. That's. Pretty accurate. So, um, there is the largest part of Australia is the desert, and that's in the middle section. Queensland, where I live, which is in the the, the northeastern side, as you said earlier, we have the coral reef that sort of stretches um, up a large part of the coastline uh, with kind of the same climate, I suppose, as California. A um, bit more humid is the way I would put it. And then, um, we, yes, we have lush green kind of tropical oasis down the side of Australia, and then as you stretch into the interior becomes quite sparse rugged um it's the outback so um, you know that's you'll hear that on any kind of movie that's trying to you know emulate australia that was what we would call the outback and um queensland is is known famously i suppose for its um wide range of people and wide range of lifestyles where you can sort of be uh, in the outback um you know herding cattle or you can be on the coast as a surfer chick or a surfer guy or you know um there's also the the metropolitan areas um down towards the south brisbane the gold coast and the sunshine coast so yeah there, there's a range of things in queensland it's it's very beautiful if you ever get down this way bill you're yeah. always invited to come and say good day i'm going to make that happen i promise uh, and <laughs> be brilliant uh,
1: yeah there's there's also this other thing about australia there's like a ton of animals that can kill you in australia <laughs> am i right like <laughs> yeah that, that kind of creeps yeah. me out a little bit
0: from the yeah, water
1: it, to the land
0: <laughs> yeah yeah there are like uh there are a, a, a plethora of things that that could kill you over here. um and and I, I do find that uh america makes a bigger deal about it than anywhere else but uh, you know the one thing i the one thing i'd say is there's not people dying from them um <laughs> with the exception of maybe the crocodiles um you very rarely get people dying from things like spiders, which is a huge phobia. snakes. they They don't like humans, they don't like hanging around humans. Yes, we have some deadly ones, but there's not a lot of not a lot of people dying from <laughs> hardly any, in fact. um crocodiles, the most people that are get are taken by crocodiles are tourists who are ignoring big signs that say there is a crocodile swimming in this lake. Right. Um, so we've had a couple of shark attacks recently and that seems to be more and more prevalent as as waters warm up and the sh- the sharks uh, now go to colder climates. So yes, yes there are a lot of things but it shouldn't be it shouldn't be feared, you know. If you get off the plane here and you you stick to most of the tourist attractions you're not, not really going to see them except from behind bars in a zoo, I suppose. So There you yeah, go.
1: There you go. Yeah.
0: But give me the biggest misconception about Australians in the US. Um, ab- about Australians in particular. Yes, um, is is uh, the one that I I I cannot get my head around. And I suppose you get this everywhere is that I may know Bob who lives in Melbourne or Perth. Um, <laughs> <and> <laughs> I will get I will get people bail me up at a stand and go. I've got a friend Susan and Susan she lives in a place called. Melbourne. And Melbourne, you would know Susan, right? Do you know Susan? I'm like, I've never heard of I don't know a Susan that lives in Melbourne. Melbourne's a big place. That's like saying, Bill, do you know Jorge who lives in New York?
1: <laughs>
0: um, no, I <laughs> don't. Right? Of- <laughs> New York is a bigger place than Melbourne. I'll take that for granted. But it, it is the the concept of the fact that I may know someone because we're on this large block of dirt together. Um, and and, and I, I find that cute, actually. I, I don't ever take offence to it. I, I find it quite funny. And sometimes I just answer, yes, oh, Susan, and maybe start making something up about that just to propagate the myth that we may do that um the other thing is that you know the biggest misconception about australians in general is that we put shrimp on the barbie i I cannot get my head around that and we're responsible we started an advertising campaign but we don't call them shrimp um (laughs) the shrimp to us are tiny little prawns they slip through the grill you can't actually put them on a barbie so what are Um, the jumbos called well, they're called prawns, and that, you ah. know, they're the, size of, they're the size of your hand. You cook gotcha, them gotcha. on the Barbie. I'll be cooking a few of those up a little bit later today, Bill. Awesome. So- <laughs> good to know. Good, good. So the prawns on the Barbie, I'll remember that uh, next time. It I- doesn't have the same ring, does it? It doesn't
1: really, no. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah. So, look,
0: I've had the opportunity to hang
1: out with you, and, and we talk a lot about different things. Um, you know, I'm kind of a big sports fan, hanging out with Carpenter and all those guys. Yep. And I, I have to share a story. It was, I was. Right at the birth of ESPN, so it's somewhere in the early 80s, I would imagine, that uh, I was introduced to this really cool sport called, in the US, we called it Australian Rules Football. Uh, I still know, I still see the officials with the one hand or the two hands going down. Mm -hmm. Um, It's still a big sport in the country, right? Yeah. Yeah, Are you a fan? Do you have a team you support?
0: I support the Brisbane Lions, um, okay. and for for the longest part, I had I had uh, a contract as the musician, as the official musician for um, music at breaks, and at the end, more, my band did anyway. So uh, we, I used to see a lot of their matches. Um, I, I wouldn't say I'm as big a fan as some of the other the other sports that we have here, and some of the other sports globally. But yeah, very much like you, I I enjoy a lot of sports. Um, so you know. AFL or Aussie rules football is one of them. Um, I, I am actually a fan of, of soccer. Would be my biggest one, um, and in particular the English Premier League. Um, I do watch your MLS from time to time, and we have our own league here as well as you know. There's the J League in Japan, the Bundesliga, the Serie R in Italy, and there's there's no shortage of that. Or oh, there is a shortage at the moment, as you're probably aware. But uh, I'm a, I'm a Raiders fan um, in in the US. I am also a, a Vegas Golden Knights fan. Um, I haven't officially adopted a basketball team, but I watch a heck of a lot of it in um, various pubs and clubs over there um, when it's when it's going. Uh, I suppose I did. I do like the Golden State Warriors, but I don't like going for a team just because they're top of the pops. So generally, generally, if there's a team on, and you'll find this is a very Australian thing. Uh, I will go for the underdog every single time, which is why I like the Vegas Golden Knights um, because I think if anyone's stupid enough to put up a ice hockey team in the middle of a desert, they deserve props and I should be going for that team. (laughs) <laughs> and look, you got a great first season We they go to the final. We did. We did. I could not believe it because I was going for them. I actually, I actually fell in love. I'm a goalkeeper in soccer. So I fell in love with a guy called Marc-Andre Fleury, who is the sure. goaltender. I, I think I've got that terminology right because I was calling him a goalkeeper for the longest part, not knowing. Neither, either one, Lord. Yeah, but he goal, goalie, we call him goalies. Yeah, well he was a freak. So in that, that whole season, <laughs> if you watch that season, the amount of saves yeah. that the guy pulled off to actually get them into the final, I mean it's a team effort, it has to be, yeah, but he was a he is a machine, that guy. He was stopping stuff I didn't expect him to. And and that was when I fell in love with ice hockey, by the way. I have here and you won't see it on the podcast, but I have with me a Oilers hockey puck because I'd never seen one before. I'd never seen a hockey puck at the age of You've Vulcanized rubber. You got to see that's it. That's it, yeah. And and someone, <laughs> I said they were Canadian because it's almost sacrilege to not know what a hockey puck is in Canada. But I said to a Canadian, I've never actually seen one. And he gave me his favorite Oilers hockey puck. I've been told that the Oilers aren't very good. But um that's okay. I've got a hockey puck.
1: Uh, everybody listening, I've got Peter's address, so just send the puck here.
0: I'll ship them in one shipment.
1: <laughs> we'll
0: have a good I was time. impressed. I was impressed and scared at the same time. Can you imagine that thing traveling at you really fast? I mean, I know over 100 you, miles an hour. Yeah, mm-hmm. I know we get Americans who watch Australian sport and go, "Wow, you guys hit just as hard or harder." I, I yeah. believe with grit, as as gridiron or NFL, but um, you don't have pads. But that hockey puck that is like a bullet, and it's big. Yeah. Um, That would do some damage. (laughs) Yeah. So I do. Yeah.
1: I I love this. Do you know that the the founder of Fidelity National Title, Bill Foley, is the owner of the Vegas Golden Knight? I did not know that. I did not know
0: that. What what a wonderful selection of teams! We'd like to thank you for supporting. <laughs> well, the, the strangest part about that is the guy that got me onto that. Uh, I give, give a big shout out to uh, Zim Jezo, who's with Urban Nest Realty. He has season tickets, so every time I'm in in Vegas, I hit him up, and religiously we'll we'll go and watch the ice hockey together. But um, yes, he's a he's a massive fan. I'm a massive fan. Uh, I I love it, and you know how much time that I spend it. in Vegas, so yeah and now the raiders are going to be there i know so. i wasn't i wasn't going for them i was going for them when they were in oakland just so you know i i have i actually am not a fan so much of vegas to go there and stay just because i'm there all the time but anyhow that that happens to be where both my teams have ended up so that is cool. Well, we needed
1: and them. your favorite. We, we got we can't skip over because I've got listeners that love the EPL. Who do you root for there? Oh, I'm a Liverpool fan
0: actually. And um, oh my god, we are having the dream yeah. season right wow. now, um, which, which looked like it wasn't going to continue. I know, but- I know. And and you know, if you know anything about the history of Liverpool, six years ago we had the biggest choke known to man, where <laughs> we were. Uh, a stack of points ahead and and yeah. we got overrun. Um and so there were, you know, that that's never gonna happen this season, just the the machine that they are. But um by the same token, yeah. it was looking like we wouldn't get a title again. <laughs> Gee. That's awesome. I, I love to hear that. So, hmm. Sean Carpenter's good friend, Todd Meininger, who we do a little
1: sports podcast with, will be thrilled to hear it because he's also a Red fan. So, right. Congratulations.
0: You're, you're like on a winning streak, uh, except for the Raiders. Apparently. One day. One day. Yeah, well, there's, a, there's another season coming up now. Who knows? I love that. So, let's see. You,
1: you've been in real estate a long time, right? Before you started with Box Brownie, yes. real estate was- who you were. Yeah. Um, was that something you were thinking about as you headed off to university? Did you have some kind of a background
0: with family? Where did that come from? No, no. Uh, my My degrees are in music. Uh, <laughs> so, not not at all. Yeah. Uh, when I finished uh, school or high school over here, uh, I don't know how you would call it, maybe college, maybe not. I finished high school, which is grade 12. And then um, I desperately wanted to go and study music. I'd, I'd, I'd been accepted. I was Quite talented as a musician at at that stage, and I was accepted into my choice of university across Australia, and I chose to go to uh, one in Brisbane called Queensland University of Technology, and I went there and I did a undergraduate, and then I went on to study a a masters at the Beijing Conservatorium of Music straight after that, Um, and that concluded in 1998. (laughs) It's an indication of how old I am. Uh, In '99, I had done a bit of travel, and I got back to Rockhampton, which is the place I was born. Now, that is in the sticks. That is up north. That is just as hot as hell. And um, I was there. My younger brother is who was responsible for getting me into real estate. He was a an accountant for a property developer. He went on to be a, quite a successful property developer in his own right. Uh, but at that stage, he was uh, three years younger than me Straight out of a, an accounting degree. And he was doing the books for somebody who was developing property. And he said, The issue that we have is that we have all of these properties that we're building from scratch. Um, they are delivered, and we can't find an agent who will not only give us the service, but, but the big one was be honest about what is going on with the transaction. And because we, the agent's not honest, we don't know where the market's at. So he said, How would you feel about um, coming and sitting on some open open for inspections, um, some, uh, some, you know, they were having open homes and there were three of them. Um, and I sold two of them that weekend. I d- didn't know anything about contracts. Um, in, a, in Australia, you're legally allowed to sell six before you need to be licensed. So, at that stage, I wasn't even licensed. Well, that was the, it, it still is the requirement now. Um, so, yeah, two of them went down that weekend um, and over a period of time uh, that started what was a successful relationship. I just couldn't believe the amount of money that he was willing to pay me for having turned up and just talked with people, talked with people on the weekend, listened to what they had to say about the property um you know i i didn't i didn't know anything i didn't i didn't know how to overcome objections i didn't know how to uh, you, you would say I fluked it, uh, fluked it completely fluked it. In fact, it came as quite a surprise to him because he he's had these open for five or six weeks um, and not any interest, not any offer. And then all of a sudden, two offers that weekend and then the next one went the following week. Um, So, you know, I, I don't know. I don't believe that had anything to do with me, but that was my first initiation into the real estate game. Um, and, and it was a good one because it really taught me straight up that being honest – um, and forging a relationship with the people, actually having a, a conversation with them. And even, you know, if I did something right on that day, it was all about the relationship. It was my willingness to um, have a chat with a person, no matter who they are, no matter what walk of life, no matter what they look like, I don't care. Not prejudge yeah. them as they walked in about the car that they'd just gotten out of, but actually have a conversation about how that that product, if I if I could call it that, would would suit their lifestyle. And um, if there was something I did right that, that day, it was that. Um, you know, I even said to them, I've actually never signed anyone up on a contract before. I am here uh, um, on behalf of my brother, who is the property developer, and here are the things that, you know, I was very upfront and honest with them about how that had happened. And and that didn't change. That was the, the foundation. I think uh, my real estate career as it sort of progressed, the one thing that never changed is the – honesty in the transaction. I just f- feel that that's irreplaceable. And we're in an in- industry where a lot of people are attracted to this industry because of greed. And I, I I, have never really felt that that is the way to go. I don't think that's the way to fall. I've seen people do a, have a successful career. I just don't know that it lasts for a long time.
1: Were you able to keep music as a side gig and have some fun there well, as well?
0: That was the beauty about it is that um, yeah, that was it. If, if I could name two more weird careers to have, um, it would be those two. But when you actually think about it, um, uh, you know, I'm working as a musician Friday, Saturday, Sunday during the day. We're rarely doing open for inspections, but we can do them. Um, and then uh, maybe Thursday or Friday during the week. Um, and the, most of my work as a real estate agent is done Monday to Friday and Saturday in the, the town that I was in. So... Um, it worked it absolutely worked and I, I guess it was the the two careers that were sort of there and um, I, never the tween did they meet uh, I couldn't really go to my poor museo friends and sell them houses but I'd certainly have a lot of fun playing with them on the weekend um, and it, it just was the way the way it worked uh, it, it worked very successfully in fact I only really stopped gigging full time when Box Brownie just started a role. um, And that was two years ago, Bill. I stopped gigging full time.
1: So now I have to ask because I don't know the answer here. Type of music? What was your instrument or instruments? What was the name of the band?
0: Uh, they, well, I, I'm what they call a session musician. So I'm a keyboard player or piano player, um, and mm-hmm. uh, that's that's the formal training. And th- there's no specific band. So I, I a session musician is one that's for hire. So I would have an agent, and she or he would give me a call, and they'd say there is a, a music festival coming up. I have an artist. This is the brief. Uh, here are the tunes that you're going to play if there may be charts, sometimes there's not. Sometimes it'd be a last minute call up. Uh, You need to Get your boards, get your keyboards. That they're, they're over here to the in the in the studio. You can see. I realise your listeners can't, but um, yeah. get those. You need to head to the airport. You're flying out to such and such to do this gig. And here is here is the contract. Here are the tunes. Listen to them on the way there, and and away you go. And, and quite often, um, you know, as as I got better and better at it, there'd be no rehearsals. You'd turn up and you'd just be shoved into it. So, um, a lot of what I did was contract based. There was no. Um, there's you know there's no specific band although I was in a, a quite a uh, successful children's band here in in Australia called Jelly Kids and I have I have awards as a composer um, for that those children's bands in my state the Queensland Music Awards we were, we were a finalist one year and um, we were uh, my daughter and I wrote a tune and we ended up as highly commended uh, two years later uh, but. Yeah, so there's there's been there's been things like that, um, but most of who I would play for would be major domestic acts or Australian idol rejects, the other ones that that didn't make it. <laughs> uh, and and I love you all if you're listening out there. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So I
1: I just I've never seen you pop into a. Like a piano in a
0: hotel bar or a lobby, you must have done that a few times in the states. It happened. It happened a heck of a lot in New York at Inman Connect in New York. There was a, oh. there's a jazz bar just around the corner from where uh, the New York hotel is uh, okay. called the Rumbar. It's called the Rumbar, and there were yeah. there were three events at that, and the the in house band would have me in the piano every night. Uh, there's plenty oh of footage up if you go to the Facebook if you go to I'll Facebook and it. have a look. I'll find it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's fantastic. Good I fun. love that. I love that. That's awesome. Um let's 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 as you kind of go through that we go through this journey. Somehow um and I know you you had multiple levels of you worked a little commercial. Mm. Uh you helped uh with a, well, I think it was a, a hotel chain and in, in developing some yeah. you know properties. Yep. Um somewhere though you you run into the, the folks at Box Brownie, Mel <clears throat> and Brad, and how does how does that well? Occur?
0: Interestingly, it wasn't Mel or Brad that I ran into. Um, in okay. fact, I didn't meet them first. Uh, I was the operations manager of a hotel franchise when I heard about the concept that was to be Box Brownie. Uh, I, I via that name, I knew what a Box Brownie camera was, right. and so it heard. I'd heard uh, Craig had taken me for lunch. He was providing a service to me at that stage. He was a service provider to the hotel industry in hosting a server where we stored our CRM. Uh, I suppose that's the easiest way to say it. If you're, if you're into tech, you'll understand what that is. Um, and he said, I've got a mate um, who at that point I didn't know was Brad. And my mate, um, he has an, a concept. Here is what the concept is. I want to run it by you. And at, at the very basis, the concept was we have an app, um, and just an app for your smartphone. You take a photo with your smartphone. We're going to enhance it for not much money and send it back to you. And he was gauging whether I thought that was a a good idea or not. And, and I thought I at this, that stage I actually thought that was an excellent idea. I um I really really liked the concept, and uh, uh you know I gave him a bit of advice on what we'd like to see. Um how I might my, my impression of that was as an agent. Um, and then I thought nothing. Of it, I went, went away. I continued on for another, I think it was a year and a half with the hotel chain until I resigned my job, uh, largely because I was not spending enough time at home. Uh, you, you will find that quite humorous, knowing my travel schedule since then. Um, yes. But at that stage, I was probably traveling about as half as much as I was now, actually going to uh, hotels and either setting them up or troubleshooting when there was a problem. So, uh, long story short, uh, I had resigned my job. I was sitting with my feet up on the sofa. I had quite a lot of holiday um, leave owed to me, so I was sitting pretty for some time. When that same guy, his name was Craig, advertised for a personal assistant, and and it was Four Box Brownie. He had listed that in, he'd put it on his Facebook feed, and I'd seen it. I'm going, oh, I wonder, wonder whatever happened to that. That company, uh, you know, I thought it was a great idea. So, I put my full resume in and I had a serious resume. Um, I put the words, I could type per minute. I have um, done courses in Excel. Um, I, you know, I am. I was at that stage, I was licensed in every state and territory in Australia, including New Zealand, which is not part of Australia. For those of you listening, it's the next door neighbors. Um, yeah. But I had a I had a real estate licence, so I've applied for a PA role. Don't know what they're paying. Don't care. Just wanted to, I guess, get attention, uh, get the get their attention, and it certainly did. He sent me a message back going, what are you doing? Uh, my resume, by the way, was a graphic design book because I've also uh, managed a real estate publication. Wow. So I had printed it as a magazine. I'd sent it in. Um, I get a call. He goes, you're going to have to come in and meet Mel never met mel before um, mel was this young guy uh of asian appearance not that that really matters but i i um met this this young fella and i'd done some research before i had come in and you know the number one thing if you actually google Mel is the fact that he he graduated from MIT at the age of 15 with um, a bachelor in mathematics and, and computer statistics like just a stupid degree that no one wants to do but Mel had done it and he'd done it at a stupid age at like a very young age so I came in to meet this guy and he was quite quirky and my my takeaway on Mel was the same as everyone else he meets him highly intelligent uh young man um and and Mel basically they laid it out to me at that stage. I I asked them what Box Brownie was doing, and uh, I was told that Box Brownie will close if if we don't if we don't make a fist of this in the next six months. If we can't make money out of this, we're going to close it. Um, that was what I was told. Uh, I was also told we can we can't afford to pay you. Um, <laughs> so so I said, oh, well, that sounds like a good job. I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and that was the beginning of the end. Box Brownie had its first, I suppose, its first employee. Uh, oh no, I shouldn't say that. There was another guy called Gavin who was employed, um, and he was doing a customer service role at that stage. Also, operations, kind of everything. Um, back then, we had no one, uh, you know. So that was the that was the beginning of meeting um, Mel, and I didn't meet Brad until my first day on the job, where I rolled in, and there was this guy. Um he he's the owner founder of Box Brownie. He um he was a real estate photographer. He was still shooting houses at that stage. That was when I remember. So mm.
1: let's 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 progress a little bit with the company then. Let's talk about some of maybe the key points, right? Was there what did there was there a pivot somewhere into a different model? If I do I have that right, or did it was it just refining as they went along?
0: Yeah, I'd say the pivot yeah, was all ha- went along. Yeah, I'd say the pivot was happening at that that point. Um yeah. we we had um, the, the area that we live in, we're indebted to. The, those people have been our guinea pigs for years. We've really stuffed up a lot of edits. They've been so loving, so understanding. Um, you know, we haven't – if you've ever used the service, you you, you know, maybe you've had – I'm hoping you've had a positive experience. Um, these people didn't. They were our, our pioneers. And at the start, we just wouldn't get it right. We wouldn't deliver to timeframes. There was a bunch of things going wrong. We didn't have scale right. In fact, it was it was about six months before we got the scale right. From myself starting, I I, I would have started um, four years ago, maybe June two thousand and sixteen, um, and it was about it was about uh, January February the following year that we actually got that down. But um, a lot of the products changed between then and now, and so did the prices. Um, certainly, the virtual staging product uh, that you know has been um one of our key contenders is we had we we nailed that and to date there'll be a lot of other staging companies that disagree with this but to date i i can't see the level of quality in any other staging service in the world um, and that's not just me being proud i know that we've got the reflection shading um, you know the actual uh, perspective right we deliver it it looks real um, the time frame the, the the way we piece it together in the back end um, w- that was really what happened during that six month period is we we nailed that. Um, we also started a render piece which has been going quite well between now and then and and then the entrance to the US happened around um, January 27 17 2017.
1: Yeah, that's where I saw Box Brownie for the first time in an Inman event. Well, right? it would have been- That's where I saw him for the first
0: time, yeah. Yeah, it would have been in uh, in San Francisco, actually. It would have been six months later in 2017. That yeah. was our first American conference uh, that happened then. Uh, our introduction to the US happened via Inman. Uh, I got some guy calling me up. I'd never, never heard of Inman. I d- didn't know what it was. Uh, for those of you listening, Brad, if you're listening, I'm sorry. I thought it was a gay magazine. Um because we were reading it as in man, um, and we had this call from someone called Craig Rao, lovely, lovely, lovely bloke, um, one of my dearest friends over in the US now. But I had no idea who he was. Um, he's called us up out of the blue, going, "I've, I've, you know, tell me what a box brownie is, and tell me what you do." And we showed him we'd he'd trailed us, and and I remember they did an article on us. Um, maybe in February of 2017 uh, history might contradict me on that, but February March somewhere there and and our service just went kaboom like uh, that was when we got the scale right bill but <laughs> that was our <laughs> service went kaboom and we had to learn how to fix that very very fast. I remember not right. sleeping much for about a week after that Hinman article Thank you Craig Rao for that and Brad <laughs> but uh, yeah that was yeah. Um, that was that was the start of our foray into the US um it, it it really launched us over there.
1: Let's talk about that scale because I think it's uh, when people – because I know the story, right? And so the fact that um, you can work round the clock globally as a company, that's staggering to me. And yep. so putting that together probably wasn't simple, I would assume.
0: No, it definitely wasn't. It, it, you know, I suppose um, – that's where the three parts of box brownie come come in or let's at least uh, say two meld's tech is, is genius. Um, there's, there's hard, it's hard to emphasize how important that is, um, right now, but, um, the tech, the beauty about box brownie is the ability to introduce a client to an editor in a short amount of time for an agreed product at an agreed price at an agreed expectation, expected delivery. So, um, that was the genius of what Mel did. Uh, if you take all of the um, everything aside, if you take every, strip everything back, and it's not about real estate, or it's you know because we also do automotive, online uh, retail, fashion. Um, if you if you take all of that aside, the the delivery time, um, introducing a client to an editor for an agreed product in a short amount of time was the genius of what we did, or what what Mel's Tech did, really. Um, and, and a lot of it's to be said for that, that made um, scale a lot easier. Um, yes, there are other issues, you know, all of our editors and manual, how do you deliver on a massive scale doing that? Um, so, again, tech has sorted a lot of that out. But, you know, there's a lot going for us at that particular time. The only people who were doing anything similar to us had a sweatshop in Thailand or, or Vietnam, and, and that's un, unsustainable. Uh, COVID has even taught us that's unsustainable because these people can no longer get into work. They have to work from home. Whereas all our, our editing team, all of our customer service team, are geo non-specific; They can be anywhere in the world. And that's, uh, that's actually put us in really good stead through the period that we've just been through.
1: And then you manage, obviously, their manual. I mean, yeah, every edit's done manually, which for me is – mind-blowing <laughs> i hmm. just thought it had to be automated somehow um so there's got to be training of all these all of the staff and
0: yeah yeah correct so well the editors in in their own right will come to us largely trained they'll sit a uh, they'll sit at it you know, some kind of, um, a testing product, depending on what they're doing, whether it's floor plans or, uh, graphic design edit or, uh, you know, CGI or renders, they'll sit some kind of test and they'll have to achieve several benchmarks before they actually come on board. And then there's, there's a bunch of, uh, training that, that then follows part of that as, as to, you know, how you would use box brownie and onwards from there, um, you know, probably the most that we onboard at the moment is customer service staff as we deal with the the volumes of of calls and live chats that we get, which has been quite difficult over the COVID period, to be quite frank.
1: I want to give you a soapbox for a second. Tell tell the realtors in the United States why they're missing the boat on floor plans.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um well, actually there's there's a bunch of stats that we're bringing out recently uh, in in the future. We're working on them at the moment just to make sure that they're right and they're balanced, but the floor plan stats existed for some time. We know because it's a it's an NAR stat that the, on MLS's less than 5% of listings on an MLS will have uh, a floor plan attached to it. Um, yet there are there are consistent studies also by the National Association of Realtors that talk about what purchasers want every year. NAR bring out a generational home buyer report. If you if you're not reading that. Get a copy uh, and read it. Don't read it in bed. bedtime. Read it first thing in the morning and find out what that actually speaks to you. But it, it talks about in there, there's one slide in particular that talks about the things that are most important to a purchaser in the transaction, which I find important as a real estate agent. Um, now, number three on the list behind good good images. And copy with all essential detail is a floor plan. So, these surveys for the past five years have told you that the third most important thing to your purchases is is a floor plan. Yet only 5% put a floor plan on the MLS. And you compare that with globally what happens, um, you know, 92% of Australian listings have a floor plan in residential sales residential letting, commercial letting, commercial sales, luxury. Um you go to the UK and it's 86%. You go to Europe, it's 74%. Even Thailand has 72% of listings have a floor plan, yet only 5% in the US. And it it's it's it staggers the mind to understand why that is. you know, I, I have a few ideas. Uh, the biggest one is is that it's just not glamorous to the real estate market over there, but also from the way that uh, you, you operate, which is very different to the way the rest of the world operates with the dual agent process. Um, I, I believe that has a lot to do with it.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. Peter, I've I, I saw you talk about the floor plans on our webinar, and uh, it's just shocked me. I've been trying to talk to people. Everyone I see, are you doing this? Are you doing this? Go to Box Brownie. Check this out. It's twenty four dollars. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Thank <laughs> I'm you. I'm trying hard. Yeah, um, <laughs> I appreciate that. If you had to rank, you know, because the, there there is some great stuff inside that tool. Um, what's popularity? Let's just go. What's your most popular service? Mm. Maybe maybe it was the top three or four.
0: Yeah, so the, the most popular by some way is a virtual staging service. There, there's yeah. there's no real doubt about that. Um, you know, even at the price point, it's at, if you know anything about our services, most of our services sit under the ten dollar mark. Uh, virtual right. staging's thirty two, so it was actually for some time one of our more most you know more expensive uh, edits. And even at thirty two dollars, when we came to the market, it was being offered at ninety six. So it fit in well and it was affordable. Um, you know, I think there is a huge culture. You want to talk about something that Americans do better than any other nation. It's the ability to understand what virtual staging does to a listing. So, you know, whilst I I sort of ha- take a broadside at floor plans, um, the culture at, you know, here in Australia when it comes to virtual staging is quite poor. They don't understand that purchasers can't actually visualise what a space does. So, um, y- you know, there if there's something that Americans are doing exceptionally well, well, it's the understanding that we need to actually, you know, place furniture in the room that's realistic, that looks looks like it is. Whether they're using a proper stage or a virtual stage, or, you know, I actually don't care which. Uh, I always advise people to stage professionally if they can. Virtual staging is for all of the the rest of the edits. Uh, but yeah, that is, that is our most popular edit. Um, our, our second most... I wouldn't say popular, but our second most used is the image enhancement. Uh, There are a lot of people in America taking photos uh, with their smartphones or by themselves. Um, And even the levels of uh, what you would call professional photography does not reach globally what is understood to be professional photography. So we have people who take uh, images from their professional photographer and re-edit them through us. Now, that's mystifying to me because I would never – allow a professional photographer to deliver something that we need to edit Um, but we have that we have people take their photos themselves who want them edited Um, and then don't forget there's a massive market for that kind of thing in rentals where the budget it just isn't there to go and um take photos so rentals commercial there's really they are really doing it tough especially commercial right now as far as trying to get good imagery professional imagery and a lot of people use us for that um and the third one that that uh, i'll talk about this is kind of a tie is the new product virtual renovation we've only sort of had that for the last 12 months where we digitally renovate a space that you know needs something done to it or perhaps has a objection um you know i i used to hear all the time as a real estate agent um the, the 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 wife would come in and i i'm i'm not saying this in a chauvinistic sense it just happened all the time the the the, the lady in the partner or would come into a listing and she'd say, I don't like the colour of the kitchen. I, and I don't know how many times I heard that objection thrown at me. There'd be hundreds of – it was never said by the bloke, so I'm really not being sexist there. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, we would hear that all the time. Well, what virtual renovation actually started is allowed us to change the colour of the kitchen and effectively move that – remove that objection. And if you extrapolate that out, that's kind of everything – it's not just the colour of the kitchen. I don't like the aesthetics of the front of the house. I don't. So, it is physically, whilst it's physically changing the property, the idea of it is to demonstrate what the property could look like um, and and needs to be disclosed. Let's be, let's be upfront about that. You need to disclose that this has happened. But there's no better way of showing the potential of a, of a property than actually renovating them, uh, th- that property and giving them a maintenance contractor's quote on what it would cost to get there. So that, that'd be that'd be up there. Item removal is taking out cars in front of houses. So a less glamorous edit. No one knows it's happened. You look much less like a rock star to your vendor, but also very important.
1: Yeah. Well, like I, I like. I'm a massive fan of what Box Brownie's doing. I I think they're. Uh, it's just it's it it is one of the easiest solutions for me to present to a realtor when they're when they
0: give me a problem with. Imagery. Can, like, can, can I not hurt? Well, can I ask you a this? question? Why do? You, why is that? Why is it so easy? Is it that? Is it that? Do you always see imagery that is not wonderful? Um, can everyone use improvement? Uh, you know.
1: Yeah, it, it, happens. it happens. It um, happens. Yeah, especially like especially with newer agents, maybe that don't have a lot of money, right? You're a tool that they can use immediately, and I think that's key because a lot of the tools that can help somebody is for somebody maybe the better, more capitalized and Mm. who's got a little, you know, experience in the game. This works for somebody who's just getting started. And uh, so I think that's just brilliant um, and wonderful. And the fact that you can do it as cheap as you do it is just um, amazing. So appreciate cool. that, and I appreciate yeah. you
0: forwarding it to anyone yeah. that's out there. That you know, oh, yeah. we love, love we love, we love the fact that people. It's humbling to the fact that people talk about us so far away. Um, and when yeah. we started in a in a garage in a little place called the Sunshine Coast in Queensland, it's it's really humbling. So thank you for that. Cool.
1: I got to ask you my final question. I've had you here way too long. Um, Every guest, and Mel answered this question too. I wish I should have looked up Mel's answer before I –
0: Anyways, um, what one piece of advice would you give a new agent just getting started in the business? Oh, look, that's easy. That's that's easy for me, Uh, especially uh, North American agents. I I believe there is a huge absence in North America um, when agents start of people actually teaching them that they're marketing a product. Um, it, normally, they're marketing a product to a specific target audience. Uh, and if you don't understand that, it makes it very hard because because you guys have the dual uh, listing system where you've got a marketing agent and a buyer's agent. What, what I find in the US is a lot of agents start out as the buyer's agent and I don't get that progression. I just don't understand that mm. part. I think if you want to be a, a, you know, a car salesman, they don't teach you necessarily how to go out and get the, the buyer. They will teach you how to market the various products you have as 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 cars in front of you, um, and and that's the same in a clothing store. How do I market this this garment to the person that comes in? At Home Depot, um, they you know whilst they might talk about the purchaser, they're going to talk about the products that they have first. What I don't understand in the North American industry is why there's not attention given to um, how do we actually market this product. And who are we marketing to? And if, if I was an agent starting out in North America, I would challenge you to learn how to market that product successfully first. And that product being a house. A lot of agents think that they are going out there to sell houses. Every house is different. And treat that as a product. Find, um, you know, potential target audiences that match that product and find the mediums for which to get them. Um, and that that would be my challenge to you is describe that product the best you can. Do your very best with that. And everything else post that will generally fall in line. But that should be the first thing that you actually set out to do in 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 your market is learn how to sell a house. <laughs> and that sounds really silly. It sounds really condescending saying that, but I the amount of new agents I meet who do not know how to do it and and don't be ashamed of admitting that's you and fixing that fault. So move move forward, learn how to market a product. You'll find that all different. There's all different ways you could do it. Uh, you don't necessarily have to take my advice, but go and partner up with someone who has done a lot of that. You control the listing, you control everything. So do that.
1: Peter, if people want to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to do that?
0: Uh, Well, I have a ridiculously long last name that will be printed somewhere here. And there is only one Peter Schravermaid in the world, so far as I know, at this stage. So, you can find me on just about any forum except for Twitter. Uh, Sorry, no, I'm on Twitter. Except for Tinder and Grinder. I'm on all of the others. Um, You can also email me, peter at (laughs) boxbrownie.com. So, any of those forums, uh, I'd love to hear from you. If there's something I've said today that offends you, please hurl abuse at me at there. Uh, I, I will, I will respond gladly. But um, more than that, if I'm in your city, look me up because I'd I'd love to share a beer or a pint with you at the pub. And and Bill, obviously, that's you as well. So awesome,
1: awesome, Peter. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks thank you for me. for letting us get on this schedule of yours. This crazy nighttime schedule, <laughs> and uh, love what you're doing. I can't wait to see you back in the states.
0: I really appreciate your time. Thanks.
1: Can't wait to catch up. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Sessions podcast. To leave a review or rating, go to ratethispodcast.com/re-sessions. You can also subscribe to the podcast at your favorite podcast listening app. Finally, you can go to the and subscribe to our email newsletter and be notified whenever a new episode is released.